Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, I'm going to date myself for a second because that's what we like to do here at the Bridge. But it was 2013 in the winter, and I was a senior in high school. Okay, I was 18 years old. It was a Friday night. And how many know the best thing you can do on a Friday night is wash dishes at a Mongolian restaurant? I was living the dream. I had teriyaki noodles all over here. It looked like I had jumped in the lake. I smelled like someone who had been bathing in sesame oil for about four days. Okay, I looked like a hot mess, but I did not care because after work that night, I was going to be driving two hours north in my friend's Volkswagen Golf. Okay, which is hilarious because this car is about this big and my friend's about six foot eight. Okay, so this massive guy, he's almost literally riding in the back seat. We're cruising up to Brainerd where all the rest of our youth group was hanging out for a winter retreat. So we got up there at midnight, which retreat time, just for you parents know, is about like 7 p.m., okay? Like midnight is just when the night's starting to get going, all right? Like that's when you start to pull out all the pranks. That's when you start to get really loud and rambunctious so that three hours later at 3 o'clock in the morning, your youth pastor gets to come in and knock on the door and yell at you, which never happens here, by the way, just so everyone's clear. Never happens. Kids never go up to the roof of a hotel and get in trouble by the hotel staff. Kids never wreck stuff, all right? Never happens here, but it happened at this retreat. Uh, so we got up there, you know, tore stuff apart. That's what we do best. But Saturday morning was the actual spiritual stuff, right? Like we, we got up and we went to service. And I'll never forget, I sat in the second row on this side of the stage, second chair over. Uh, I had sat down. I was all ready because this is my only my second time being at this winter retreat because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up going to stuff like this. So as a senior, this was only my second time, but I was excited because it was my last time, and I knew it was just going to be awesome, and so I will never forget sliding my Bible and my journal underneath the chair in front of me and looking at the stage and just having like that feeling of like something awesome is going to happen tonight, like just something awesome is going to happen today. I'm excited. I'll never forget because I, as I'm having this just thought that just is Derek, I fully believe I felt like God said to me, Derek, when you come expectant, I move big. When, I, when you come expectant and ready for me to do something in your life, I move. And I'll never forget that because at the time I was 18 years old, there was a lot of things internally that I was feeling. There was a lot of things that I was like, where am I going to go with my life? What am I going to do with my life? All those internal things you feel as an upcoming adult where it's like, what is going to happen? And nobody knew I was walking through it. Nobody knew I, the struggle was real. Nobody, I just kept it all near and dear, cards close to the vest. But sure enough, as God would have it, that night, the pastor is speaking, he's doing all this, all, you know, he's through his message towards the end. He's, he's over here and he's, he's talking and all of a sudden he kind of makes eye contact with me and he stops the whole service and he goes, what's your name? I told him my name was Jim, of course, because that's my name. No, I said Derek because it's the, when, when someone calls you out from the stage, you're kind of like, <sighs> like, what did I do? There's, there's, that, there's that heart dropping moment. So I just kind of sheepishly said my name and he goes, you have purpose, you have anointing, you have a call in your life. And I know you're doubting it, I know you're questioning it, but I want you to press into it. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> the emotions come through, you know, as an 18-year-old, and then he comes over and prays for me. But I thought about that this week for two reasons. One, I feel like a lot of times, for those of you who have been going to a church for longer than I've been alive, for those of you who have been going to church regularly, right, it's one of those things, you come to church, you do your thing, you go about your day, you do your chores, and tomorrow we all hate our lives going back to work, all right? That's what happens. 
And it becomes easy just to check off church, coming to just going to church, checking it off the list. But I felt challenged to say, when we come into this place ready for God to move, he moves in our lives, in the lives of those around us. But I also thought about that because it's exactly what happened in our story today as we continue our sermon series, The Jesus Files, when we're in week three of this sermon series. And I just have to tell you guys a little bit into the brain of our lead pastor, which is always a little scary, can I just tell you? When you get inside Chris's brain, it's scary. Okay? It smells like beef and cheese. There's a, there's a lot of just corny dad jokes in there. Okay? It's really odd. But I love what this little blurb I'm going to give you that you don't need, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It was September, and Chris comes into my office. He knocks on the door. He's like, hey, Derek, I'm looking at switching the sermon series for October. And I said, cool. What are you thinking? He goes, I have a really good idea that we've never done before. And in that moment, I was kind of like, We've done some weird stuff, okay? <laughs> what could this possibly be? And he goes, I've got a really good idea. I was like, all right, let's, let's see what you got. We're going to do a sermon series all about the weird stuff that Jesus has done. And I was like, am I being punked right now? Are there cameras in my office? Like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, no, I want to talk about the weird things Jesus has done and why he did them. And I was like, all right, sounds good. So we talked about the fig tree. We talked about turning water into wine, this crazy stuff. But I got the best one, okay? When he said weird stuff, this is the first thing that I could think of. And so as, as we're going to go to John chapter 9, if you have it on, on, your, on your Bible, you can pull it up, but it'll be on the screen as well. But I think I won when it comes to weird Bible stories. John chapter 9. As he, he being Jesus, Passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, then anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. All right? So our ushers have, I went to Menards this week. I grabbed some dirt, okay? Our ushers are going to bring some, some clay pots over to you. If there's someone next to you who's got some kind of healing thing, we're going to have you spit in the dirt and rub it on them, all right? <laughs> Is that cool? It's biblical, right? Like, we can do that. Can you imagine, just, just for a second, I go down to Minneapolis with our youth students on a mission trip. Okay, guys, I want, if there's anyone on the side of the road, and they, you think they need some healing. Why don't you go up to them and say, hey guys, I believe God wants you to be healed. Can I pray for you? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> you get shanked in Minneapolis, or if that happens, all right? This is weird. This is odd. Pastor Chris wanted weird. I got weird for him, okay? So let's unpack this because obviously there's something in here that if, if it's in the Bible, it must be important for some reason. But I love in verse 1, it says, as Jesus passed by. It's very intentional language when you look at the ancient Greek and the ancient Hebrew because as he passed by was the exact language he used in John chapter 8 when he passed by a group of Pharisees who hated his guts. A group of Pharisees who literally picked up rocks in chapter 8 to throw at him and kill him. Jesus just walked past him. When he says he passed, he passed by, he was calm, he was controlled, he was poised, he was oblivious and could not care less that everybody over here hated him. 
To me, it almost feels like when it says, as he passed by, he was saying, hey guys, I know you hate me, watch this. He goes over and he sees a blind man. Okay, a blind man who was blind from birth. And he was a beggar, it also talks about. Because in this day and age, there wasn't the AIDS that we have in the 21st century. Okay, if he was blind, the only way he could survive, the only way he could make a living was to sit in front of a populated area and ask for money. Have someone help him, have someone get him food. So his entire life he's been begging. But here come Jesus and his 12 disciples. They walk by, they see this blind man. And it was the disciples who spoke up first, actually. And they said, Jesus, who sinned? This man who's a blind beggar or his parents? Because in this day and age, if if you had a physical ailment like this, if you had a handicap of this nature, it was thought that it's because God's judging you. It's because you did something, you sinned, and therefore God's, you know, punishing you. Or even worse, if your parents did something massive, then like God's giving his judgment on you by your kids having some kind of handicap. But Jesus' response is different, okay? The disciples asked, who sinned this guy? Jesus kind of sidesteps the conversation and goes, nobody. He was blind because he was blind. But God intends to use it for his glory. All right? So, of course, as the story goes, spits in the mud, makes some saliva, anoints the guy's eyes, and says, I want you to go wash in this brook. I want us to just think for a second, if you're a blind beggar, your entire life, You've been passed over, you've been ignored, you've, just, you've, you've literally just sat there just hoping that somebody would do something for you. What happens when this random guy you don't know from Adam comes over, sits down, you hear him hawk a massive loogie in the sand, okay? He says, okay, hey, I'm going to pray for you, man. Cool. Rubs clay and and mud and junk on your eyes and says, hey, I want you to stumble your way down to this random pool and wash. Can I just tell you, as the skeptic in the room, I'd be like, no, I'm not doing that, okay? Your spit's all over my eyes. That's disgusting, first of all. Second of all, I don't know you. What if you're going to lead me into a hole and I'm going to fall to my death, okay? What would, let's honestly think, what would it be like in this moment? He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that Jesus can do crazy things. What would you do? I know I wouldn't be getting up. I'd just be like, thanks for the loogie. I'll take some change instead if you got it. But verse 7 goes on. Obviously, the man must have thought for a second that this could work because it says he went and he washed and he came back seeing. If you have been blind from the time you came out of the womb and you go down to this pool and all of a sudden going from black to you can see, I'd be blown away, okay? I'd be like, yes, let's go, okay? He's excited. He's making a scene and as he should because he can see. And we know he's making a scene because the neighbors take notice. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, it's him. Others said, no, it just looks like him. He kept saying, no, I'm the guy. I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. A lot of times the miracles will happen on the heels of ordinary obedience. Sometimes for our miracles to happen, we just need to be obedient to what God's calling us to do. 
in the mundane things of life. Look at the story from a 10,000 foot view. You have Jesus who seeks out this man. He seeks out the beggar. He seeks out this guy and says, hey, I want to heal you. I want to move in your life. He makes the first move. He does all the hard work. He prays for him. He anoints him. He sends him away. But it takes two to tango. The man had to get up and do the very thing God called him to do. He said, go to the pool of Siloam and you will be healed. The man still had to get up and go. When God wants us to move, we got to let him in. We got to push in. We got to obey the very things he's calling us to do because sometimes the miracle's on the other side of it. Sometimes the miracle is because we are obedient in the small things of life. You know, sometimes, at least I feel this way, sometimes the biggest leap of faith we have is not the big adventure changes. It's not the big, massive moments of life. Sometimes the biggest leap of faith is just getting up in the morning and walking about your day and knowing that your life matters. When you are in the valley, when you are in just the thick of the junk, and you, the last thing you want to do is to go about your day and seek after God and, and push into your Bible and come to church and just pretend everything's fine. When we don't want to do that, sometimes the biggest leap of faith we can take is to say, I'm going to pursue God in the midst of it all. I'm going to obey the very things he's calling me to do. I'm going to seek after him when it feels like it's getting old. I'm going to seek after him when I don't want to. Because the reality is God is going to move regardless. And God is going to speak to you whether you're listening or not. But when we take the time to obey, to listen, to move with him, that's when we start to see really cool things happen. We can all relate with what it feels like to be in need, right? We can all relate with the beggar of what it's like to just need that miracle. I can only imagine when he's, sitting there, and he's going, you know what? Like, I need some sight. I need this. I can imagine what it was like when he had the idea, that uh, the idea, emotion, I guess you could say, that what if I can actually see? What if this actually works? We have wrestles. We, we wrestle with scars and pains in our life. We wrestle with comments that have been just spoken over us, that continue to live with us, Every day of our life, we grapple with the loss of a family member. We grapple with what it's like to have somebody who's in a dire health moment. We understand what it's like to be the beggar, to have this glaring, obvious need for God to move. We can empathize with that, but sometimes it's harder to empathize with his response. Sometimes it's harder to empathize with he had a need, but he still pursued God in the midst of it. It was about a year and a half ago that I stood on this stage and I told you about my friend Josh. Josh was somebody I went to college with, somebody I met in college. Uh, one of those guys that just, we hit it off, okay? I talk about midnight being like 7 p.m. Like, there was a lot of 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock Taco Bell runs with this guy. There was a lot of late night basketball, video games, all the good stuff. Josh became a really, really good friend of mine. One that extended past college. We became really good friends. or stayed really good friends after that. We got, we, we got connected with his wife, Mallory. She was super awesome, and we were really excited uh, when they when they got married eventually, they got married shortly after Meg and I did, and uh, they they got pregnant, and we were really really excited. But I'll never forget there was one night when I was getting ready to go to bed. I just jumped on Facebook where I was gonna you know pass out and and go to sleep, and I saw Josh uh, and his wife Mallory, who at the time were about 36, 37 weeks pregnant. Josh shared something from Caring Bridge, and those who are familiar with Caring Bridge, you know Caring Bridge is never good. You know Caring Bridge is something that's tough. 
I could not believe what I read. And as I called and texted Josh, I could not believe what I was experiencing. Because what had happened is Mallory, his wife, was helping a friend move. And she wasn't feeling super well. So she went to go get a glass of water. And as she got a glass of water, she ended up fainting and the glass fell down and it cut her really bad. And they rushed her to the hospital and she'd go on to not make it. They did an emergency surgery to get Minnie, their daughter, out. And they got her out and she was alive. And so we spent the next days invading the NICU. She was there, she was fighting for her life, so Josh and all of our friends just invaded this place. And we were praying, we were worshiping, we were seeking after God, saying, God, we know you can heal her. God, I know she's premature, I know there was some time there where she wasn't getting oxygen, but God, we believe you are the God of miracles. We were singing the song Waymaker over and over and over and over and over again. What I loved about this moment, the moment, it was one of the most powerful moments of where I've seen God move in somebody's life, is that in the midst of all this crazy, awful, awful pain, this crazy, traumatic thing, Josh was going around to the doctors, to the nurses, to the people saying, hey, thank you so much for working on my daughter. Thank you so much for working on my wife. I, would, I know that Mallory, if she was here, she would want me to tell you that God loves you, that Jesus cares for you, that he's there for you. To these doctors, to these nurses, and as the story would go, Minnie would not make it. We had, a, we had a, a service for them both, and it was one of the most heart-wrenching things ever. But what was the most powerful of it all is when we were all done, in the middle of the service, Josh was just kind of calling out certain people. And when he went to just honor the medical professionals who worked on his girls, the back half of the room stood up. 40-some medical professionals stood up and came to the service because they were so impacted by the Jesus that was a part of that. And I share all that to say because I just saw Josh seeking after God. He sat in the first row of the, of the thing in the, in the service. As he's, as he's having a service for his, his wife and his daughter. He's sitting up and he's, just, he's got his hands to the sky going, God, I need you. He's worshiping God through his pain, through his tears, not saying, God, you're all good. It's all good. But saying, God, even in the midst of this moment right now, you're good. Even in what's going on right now, God, I still believe you and I still trust you. He was obeying the very things he was supposed to do. So I'm going to fast forward to the good stuff now because I don't want to get any more emotional. Josh would go on to meet an amazing woman named Amanda. Okay, and Amanda was also someone that went to North Central with Meg and I. And uh, I think we have a picture of them. They got married this last year. They, they are awesome. They are a great power couple. Uh, and they, they got pregnant as well. And uh, this week, as I'm preparing my message, I'm sitting in my office and I get this text right here. Ellie can't, comes into the world and she's happy, she's healthy, mom and dad are awesome. Can we just give God some praise for that, okay? Like... God loves to see our obedience even when it's not easy. God loves to see us pursuing him in the mundane things of life when it's not easy. So many times I feel like we have to say, God, hey, I'm struggling. I'm in pain. I need a miracle. But God, you're good. Put on a fake smile. He's not looking for fake. He's looking for real. He's looking for, God, I am hurting. 
God, I'm in pain. God, I need a miracle. God, where are you? God, I need something. God, come on. But I trust you. Sometimes it's with a gritted, gritted teeth and painful saying, God, I trust you. That's obedience. Trusting God even when you don't want to. If you look back, experts look at why Jesus spit in the, in the mud, in the sand. They study the ancient Greek. They study the, the antiquity. They study the culture around the time. There was a very small minority of people that believed that the reason he spit in the sand was because saliva has some form of healing properties. It's debatable, but it's, it's legitimate. But a large majority of biblical or biblical scholars throughout the world believe that the reason Jesus spit in the clay was because he was showing it's not about the process, it's about the source. It's not about trying to replicate. If you do this, that, and the other thing, if you push the right buttons, if you say the right prayers, all of a sudden, boop, there comes your miracle. It was a way of saying the miracle is not found in the method, it's found in me. It's not found in doing the right things, saying the right things, doing all this stuff. The miracle that you are seeking, the miracle that you are desiring comes through God. And by us seeking him, by us obeying him and following him, that's when the miracle comes, when we are obedient. But did you notice what the disciples were doing during this moment? Let's back up for a second. Who was the first person that noticed the beggar and did something about it? The disciples. What was their response? Jesus, did this man sin or his parents? Was it, was, it, was it him or was it his parents? There's obviously some reason why he's like this. And so which is it, his fault or their fault? It was a theological dilemma for them. They walked past this man who was in need. They walked past this man who was blind from birth, who was begging for money. And instead of helping or doing something for them, which they've spent the last little bit of time with Jesus, seeing Jesus help those that are poor, those that are oppressed, they walked right past him. And the first thing they acknowledge about him is who sinned, him or his parents? That theological dilemma was their primary Emphasis at that point. And Jesus' response was different, right? He saw the need, sidestepped the dilemma, and said, I'm going to go there and minister to this man. I'm going to be there. I'm going to meet his needs. He redirects the question. He, he does whatever. And he goes right into the source of what needs to be done. God meets our needs not because He just wants to help us because he wants to get something much more valuable, which is our heart. God desires, yes, to meet our needs because he loves us and and he he cares about us. He does all these awesome things. But God is not just content with just meeting our needs so we can go about living our lives. God wants to meet our needs because there is something much deeper below the surface. There's something much more valuable to him along with fulfilling our needs and being there. And that's where I want to pick up in John chapter 9. Because we saw the blind beggar. He, he had these neighbors question him. did all this awesome stuff. And so he's all excited and everybody hears about it. But here come the wonderful Pharisees. The God-loving, awesome Pharisees that are all about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, you're the man. Not quite, okay? They find out, I'm sorry, what? He did what? He, he spit where? He did what to your eyes and what happens now? 
The Pharisees get wind of this, and they are mad, okay? They're really mad, not just because Jesus healed somebody and did something awesome, but because he did it on the Sabbath. He broke the rules. The Pharisees love to follow the rules, okay? So what they do is they bring the blind man in, and they say, all right, man, apparently you can see now how this happened. Guy's like, I don't know. Here's what happened, man. Like, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, Jesus came and spit on the ground, rubbed it on my eyes, and I prayed, and I went to this pool, and I came out seen. And they're like, okay, this guy is smoking weed. (laughs) They're like, okay, for real, okay? Like, how did this happen? There's no way this happened. There's no way you could do this. Like, there's no possible way. Like, we're going to go talk to your parents. If you're not going to tell the truth, we're going to go talk to your parents. The Pharisees were super mature that way. So they go and legit talk to his parents saying, hey, is this your son? Yep, that's our son. Was he blind from birth? Yep, he was blind from birth. How did this happen? No idea. Okay. So try and explain it to us. And they straight up said like, he's a grown adult. Go talk to him. Gosh, I love the Bible. It's awesome. So they bring the blind man back for the second time. Almost they're like, dude, just cut the junk, okay? Like, we know you're lying. We know you're full of it. Verse 25 says, here's what the, the beggar said in response to that. He answered, whether this man is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I think he's going to be annoyed. Can you guys pick up on that? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reveled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Oh boy, he poked the bear now. He poked the bear now, okay? He's annoyed. You've been there, right? Like, you ask me the same question over and over and over again. And he finally says, you know what? You don't believe me? Just follow him yourselves. The same people that wanted to kill him the chapter before. Now they are mad, okay? They get so mad that they actually kick him out of the temple, which at this day and age would be like being kicked out of the church indefinitely. They were mad. They said, you know what? You are so full of it. We're so done with this Jesus thing. We're done. You are excommunicated. You're cooked. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see me, those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus cares about our needs, but he cares about our relationship with him way more. Our needs are just a vessel to get our attention. The very things that we struggle with are just the very things God can use to get to the thing he really desires, which is a relationship with him. This man, this blind beggar, had nothing going for him. He was just making it through life. But here comes Jesus. He meets his needs. He's there for him a random stranger. But because this random stranger did a massive miracle in his life, he all of a sudden goes, what's different with this guy? He starts to 
go from not knowing Jesus to I believe in Jesus to, you know what, I am going to go get excommunicated from the temple. But when Jesus meets me, I'm going to go all, I'm going to say, yes, Jesus, I am yours. Sometimes our physical blindness is just a way for God to cure our spiritual blindness. Sometimes the very things that we struggle with are the very things that God will use to show, you know what, I am bigger than your needs. I can meet them, but I care for you. I care about your life. And it's cool that he cares about our lives. It's cool that he cares about those sitting in these chairs, but you know what, he cares about the lives and about these doors too. He's just as passionate about the people who are resisting coming to church today because they hate God and they hate church. He is just as passionate about meeting the needs and being there for the people who say, I'm atheistic, I'm agnostic, I don't believe. He is just as passionate about the people who did some really messed up things last night in the inner city, outside of the city, in our city, in our house. Whatever it is, God is passionate about every single person on this planet and beyond, and he cares just as much about them as he does about us. And so we as people should be just as intentional about caring for those people too. I don't want our church to be like the disciples. I don't want our youth group to be like the disciples. I don't want my life to be like that of the disciples where they say, you know what? Hey, you're going through something. That stinks. How did that happen, Jesus? I would rather say, you know what? What's up? How can I be there for you? How can I be be Jesus to you? All right? Jesus came into this world so that, he, that those who are blind may see. I love that he used a blind man to talk about something very metaphorical. The blind man was just a metaphor that this man's eyes were physically open, that he couldn't see, but now he could. But before he couldn't see that, there was a God who loved him, a God who saw him, a God who was there for him, a God who would inevitably lay his life down for him. But now he saw that through this experience. This Wednesday, I'm talking to our youth students out of Ephesians chapter 3. Because last year, they blew me away. And last year, our students taught me something. I laid out a very similar message to them about, you know what, guys? There are people in this world who desperately need hope. They desperately need Jesus in their lives. And they can't get him. Right? We get spoiled here in America because we can worship God. We can come to church freely if we want to. We can open a Bible freely if we want to. There are people around the world who don't have that luxury. Just like the blind man said, you know what? Maybe God wants to meet the physical needs of people around the world so that they can start to administer and they can start to feel their spiritual needs as well. So what if we, along with all the youth groups in Minnesota, all the youth groups in the, in the country, what if we did something? We gave to Speed Light Admissions Organization and we started drilling water wells. We started helping people get out of human trafficking. We started doing all this awesome stuff so that God could minister to them. And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. So I said, all right, let's try, and, let's try and raise more in the spring than we did all of last year combined. I was like, you know what, guys? This is, we're shooting big for it. Let's go for $3,000. Let's do it. They're like, all right, bet. They raised $5,925 last year for those needs. Okay? <laughs> to me, it's not about the dollar signs. It's about the many lives that are going to be impacted because of that. And on a Wednesday, I'm going to share with them Ephesians chapter 3, which just says, God's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. Adults, 
people of the Bridge Church, what if we could lead the way? What if we could get behind our youth students? What if we could get in front of them and we could say, you know what, we're going to care for the needs here in our community. We're going to care for the needs around the world. We're going to get excited about what God's doing in the world, what God's doing in our community. We're going to get excited because God desires to meet the needs just like he did the blind beggar, just like he did for us, just like he's going to do for us. Because when we are obedient to the daily tasks of life, miracles happen. And to be obedient means that we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, all of our heart, and all of our mind. We're going to love people while it's still called today because that is what we're called to do. Despite our circumstance, despite where we're going, God calls us to love him and love his people in every season, every moment, every time. And that is my desire for us here at the church. That St. Francis would see people come to know him. Come to know the saving joy of Jesus. So I'm actually going to call... I'm going to wrap up early if you guys are cool with that. I know it's bi-week, so we'll call it bi-week here too. I know there are a lot of people here who are going, guys, Derek, that's great. But I'm still waiting on my miracle. I'm still waiting. God didn't meet my miracle. It's great that we want to reach people. It's great that we want to bring Jesus into St. Francis and beyond. It's great that we want to be there for people, but you know what? Just right now, I can't. Right now, I can't because you know what? My need is just, I, it's too hard. It's too painful. It's too rough. I don't believe in Jesus. It's cool. It's a great story you just told, but you know what? I still don't see him in my life. I don't feel him in my life. I don't have that relationship with him. In fact, I don't want it. My challenge to all of us in either of those two camps would be the fact that exactly what I talked about to start, that when we are expecting God to move, he will move. It might not be how we think, it might not be on our time, but he will move. We just need to be ready. We need to be ready for him to come through and to be there for us when we least expect it. We need to be ready for that person to be there for us when we need him to be. What if the miracle we're seeking really is not the miracle? What if the miracle is all the stuff that led up to it and that came as a result of it? My friend Josh could say the miracle never happened for him. That his daughter, Minnie, God failed on that one. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't want to say anything beyond Josh. But what I do know that Josh told me is he loves how God brought all of us together, how God brought all of us together to go after him, to seek after God, to seek after what he was going to do. Even in the most tragic, awful situations, God did something powerful. He ministered to doctors and nurses who normally don't have that faith because X, Y, Z. He ministered to the people in the NICU who saw people after people, day after day, coming in and worshiping God. He brought people together that would never come together, and now there are friendships forged. There is life happening because they got brought together. That is a miracle. That is the power of God. And so my challenge to all of us today is what is it that God's calling us to do? What is that daily obedience that we're supposed to do? Is it we're supposed to walk out of this place and instead of trying to fight, instead of trying to be like, you know what, I'm just going to manhandle this? What if it's inviting God into the situation? Saying, God, I need this miracle. I don't know when, I don't know how, but God, I need you here. 
Maybe your obedience is to continue to come to church and press in. You've been running. You've been not wanting to come to church. But you know what? There is going to be awesome stuff happening in this place. To you and to those that you touch. Being here week after week is awesome. Can I tell you, we have a fantastic group of people in this church who make it run. Monica and our kids team is doing awesome things back there. She's excited. She sent me a blurb of what she's been telling all of her parents, all of her, all of the volunteers of why she's doing it back there. She desires not just to babysit your kids, but to genuinely talk to them about Jesus, to actually empower them to just be awesome people. That's her desire. Our creative team painted this wall. Who noticed the wall by chance? Okay, it looks great in here. Okay. They did awesome. Our greeting team loves to welcome people. There are so many places here in the church that God wants to use to reach other people. Because there are people that are going to walk through our doors next week, the week after that, a year from now, two years from now, who are in the desperate need of Jesus. They're going to be like the blind beggar who's sitting there just waiting for something to happen. And when they walk through these doors, they're going to experience Jesus because there's Jesus loving, Jesus-believing people in these doors who are here to make a moment for them. So we need your help. We need your help to be a part of that as you guys are already doing. Can I just ask that maybe, just maybe, our act of obedience is to walk throughout our day just looking and waiting for God to move. I don't think the disciples were intentionally doing anything against the beggar. I don't think they were just intentionally ignoring him. They just, didn't, they just didn't even think it was possible. They didn't think Jesus could even do that. And why would they? But maybe that's our problem too. Maybe we're walking through our lives not thinking that anything awesome can happen. Maybe we're walking through our lives questioning if God can, like, there's no way God can get a hold of that guy. He can. He will. Maybe we're the vessel that it happens through. If we're obedient if we're looking, if we're sensitive. So I want to close today by challenging us to be obedient in the daily, to be obedient in the mundane. But for those in this place who maybe don't have that relationship with Jesus, maybe you're sitting here, you're going, you know what? Like, I am not sure what I believe, but I do know that the Jesus you talked about might be something I'm interested in. It might be something that I'll give him a chance I'll give him one more opportunity. Do it. I'm going to pray here in a second. I just want you to repeat after me. So with all eyes closed, all heads bowed, for those in this room that are open to Jesus, that you're just saying, you know what? I want God a part of my life. I want Jesus. I want to welcome him into my situation. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to stand up or anything. I just want you just to just repeat after me. Maybe this is for the first time. Maybe you're recommitting. Maybe you've known Jesus your whole life. You just want to welcome him into your life right now. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you into my situation. I invite you into the very thing I need. I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes. But God, would you please forgive me? Would you be a part of my life? In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he is God, that he's with us. So I'll just encourage you, as you walk out of this place, 
Would you just be looking? Eyes to see, ears to hear. Because I know God wants to do something awesome. All right? So, do me a huge favor. Do high five somebody on your way out, unless you don't want to be around people because of germs and stuff. I get that. Okay? I think today proved that Jesus did not live in a COVID era. All right? Because if he spit in someone's eyes, that would be real bad right now. All right? I love you guys. Have a great Sunday. High five somebody on the way out, and we'll see you next week. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.